Welcome to the Strange Catholics Podcast. I'm your host, Phil, joined as always by Terry in Minnesota with me and Bob in Virginia. We are three distinct voices bringing varied perspectives on the church and the world into the conversation. We want you to join in the conversation. You can do so by going to anchor.fm forward slash strange Catholics and leaving a message there. You may also email us at strangecatholicspod at gmail.com. Please remember to rate this podcast on iTunes or wherever you're listening and share with one person. We used to gather around a table at Caribou Coffee. It's a coffee house in Minnesota in the Midwest. But now we gather virtually in hopes that these conversations will be a light for you as they are for us. Now, let us begin this week's conversation. Welcome to the Strange Catholic Show. This week we'll have Bob's first cup. Our main topic is going to talk a little bit about some recent news that we've heard and just some reflections on that. Our saint this week is St. John Vianney, also known as the Curé of Ars. For opening prayer, we'll turn it over to Terry. Thank you, Phil. Good evening, brothers. Good evening, listeners. Let's begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Gracious and heavenly Father, you who are our light and our joy. We thank you for the blessing of this day. We thank you for just the gifts you give us each and every day. The uh, the beautiful sun, the people around us. God, we just are so grateful for your bountiful blessings. We just pray now that as we begin our podcast uh, descend upon us and those listening to this podcast and open our minds and our hearts and give us the words, Heavenly Father, to stir hearts towards you and, and blaze in each and every one of us that fire of your love. We pray all these things through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Phil. Amen. Bob. Well, I already kind of gave my two cents, but um, <laughs> I, so I think I'll just give it a little bit again here. Um, as track and field is now starting at the Olympics, which is always fun to watch. I mean, it's very competitive. So... Um, but I talked about the Olympics last week. This week, let's talk about the Delta variant and COVID. And, and we certainly understand and we pray for those who have COVID in their families. And we understand the virulent strain of the Delta uh, variant and so on. But I guess what we discussed in the pre-show was the, the concern that we're getting to a point where we're never going to come back again, that we've created such a culture of fear in our country that we're going to be wearing masks permanently everywhere we go because we're going to be concerned that either one, that there's going to be another strain there because there's going to be an echo variant. We know there'll be a strain at some point. Viruses mutate and create new viruses, you know, and so on. Or that the you know just you know the next virus is just around the corner, so we need to protect ourselves. So what we're going to do is we're going to limit human contact. 
We're not going to shake hands. We're never going to touch again. And we're going to wear masks all the time. Okay. That is a, that is a fearful way of doing business. And it's not what God wants. We need to be safe and God wants us to be safe, but he doesn't want us to be fearful and we should not be fearful uh, to live our lives. And, and I think we're on a potential precipice here of, you know, kind of, you know, moving forward in a, in this, not a very productive way. I mean, it's been gradual, but we've, it kind of seems like we're getting to much more of a, of a, a leverage uh, point right now. So that's my big concern. We need to reject fear, but we need to be safe. But we can do both those things without, you know, throwing the baby in with the bathwater, for lack of a better idiom to say. What are your guys' comments on that? Yeah, I mean, and I don't know that I'm going to be able to extract any of what we talked about earlier, because I don't remember when I actually started recording. But yeah, as we talked about, I mean, we can't let the the tool of the enemy fear drive our lives, right? As you said, so we we need to be right. We need to be use the intellect that God has given us, our reason, our logic, always right. But it, you know, we need to. I think, especially when there's we always sense is just something that's kind of a fearful reaction that we instead try to respond with love and charity and help people to see that, hey, 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 wait, 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 you know, what's driving this decision and help to bring that out. Um, I did not know the track and field was starting up. That's my favorite part of, of the Olympics, partly because those are events I, you know, way back in the day and in school I used to run. So it's fun to watch because I think running is very fun. But uh, anyways, that's a side yes, topic. Yes, because you're yeah. so old, Phil. Well, it was a while ago. I'm not <laughs> as young as I used to be. Um, None of us are. But anyway, so, you know, if we look at, you know, what's going on, where is this fear coming from? And and respond again with that 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 heart that we talked about last week, right? That inherent dignity that we each, each and every one of us have made in God's image and likeness and try to respond, not out of that fear, but instead, God, where, what are you trying to speak to us through these words? You know, what, what are we hearing and how do we take that and say, God, how are you speaking through this? Cause this seems pretty chaotic right now. What is going on? And just try to see how God is moving in and through this. This is, his will is allowing this for whatever reason. So, you know, do we do we just need to speak up and say, wait, 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 wait. This seems like this is a fearful reaction instead of one that is sound in logic and reason. So let's take a step back and instead bring that approach to it. So that's kind of, I think that's what I talked about when we talked earlier, but now I don't remember. <laughs> but that having that pastoral heart, you hit right on it. Having that pastoral heart and responding with love and meeting people where they're at in their fear and bringing them into the light, I think is going to be the key for each and every one of us, not only for those of us 
who are ministers of the church, but in just our daily interactions with those around us. The greatest asset of the enemy is kind of like, you know, both of you have your military experience. You know, it's kind of like the military, divide and conquer. If we come together and unite together with our eyes towards God, we can survive, in my opinion, any storm that the enemy can throw at us. My two cents. Well, let's just be clear that these statements are not anti-political leaders and what they need to do to keep people safe. We all we all identify with the complexity and the difficulty that political leaders have and public health officials have to keep people safe. You know, this is not an anti-vaccine message or an anti-COVID message. You know, we think people should get the vaccine so they can make their own decision, but we think there's good things out there and so on to fight the illness. It's just the culture of fear. And we thought we were through this, but now I think people are like, well, we're never going to be through this. And the unfortunate part is when you have that crack and you allow fear to get in there, you know, I just see it as a really destructive force in our society. So we're here to say that that's not what God's about. We need to turn towards God and pray so we can know the right direction. And that's all I have for the first cup. Back to you. Thanks, Bob. So a couple things I wanted to touch on, things that have been out and about in the last week or so, uh, just concerning some different things that have come up, uh, stories maybe from a while ago that people might remember. And so the first one I wanted to touch on was that um, former Cardinal Theodore McCarrick, uh, if you recall, uh, was formally charged uh, in in Massachusetts on Wednesday with three counts of indecent assault and battery on a person. So I think people were kind of wondering when this was going to happen um, because he was laicized pretty quickly, which means he couldn't have been canonically tried within the church. So then people were waiting for the, um, for the courts to come after him. And of course there's statute of limitation things and all that, but the charges have been filed um, it, it's possible he could still have canonical charges, but, uh, because he was laicized, um, it, it's hard to say that this, that, that will happen, but it is good to see that, um, he's going to be charged, uh, and likely will face the remaining years of his life in prison. Another story, not necessarily related to that, but something tertiary to it, um, uh, a news organization, uh, a journalist uh, from The Pillar uh, came up with or did an investigation uh, acquiring data from apps that commercially make it available and then tri triangulated with that um, known cell phone data for people within the USCCB, especially in D.C., 
And then we're able to find that the general secretary of the U.S. Bishop Conference, who was voted to that position in 2020, Monsignor Burrill, was found to be using apps that would not would not be conducive to one that's living a life of chastity, right? So uh, not going into what the app was that he was using, we will link to the document that you can see. Um, but I thought, you know, with McCarrick, I think it was just announced today in the Boston Globe is the first place that I saw it where they announced the charges were filed against McCarrick. Um, and then knowing that this story had already happened uh, against uh uh, former General Secretary Burrell, uh, Monsignor Burrell. He's, um, he is a priest of the Archdiocese of La Crosse, which we have talked about that diocese before. Uh, so just a lot of pressure on the uh, uh, Bishop Callahan there, again, uh, with these new details that came to light on Monsignor Burrell. Uh, there isn't, we have not yet heard of anything coming down from the from Bishop Callahan on what he's planning to do with Monsignor Burrell. But we know that it was a very quick once these once this report came out that he very quickly uh, resigned and uh, Archbishop Gomez accepted his resignation, announced it. Um, so it's just talking about, you know, when no matter what we're doing in our lives, we should not assume that we can have something that's, you know, an, a whole nother life, right? So both McCarrick and Monsignor Burrill, it was as if they were living like they could have this second hidden life that wasn't known, or maybe was known to some, but not known to all. And the other, the other, I think, conflict in this is that Monsignor Bur Burrill was supposed to be the one in charge of investigating McCarrick, and he was also doing these things that a priest should not be doing. Um, so, you know, it's just, there's, it's just like compounding problems. You know what I mean? When you try to lead a, a double life, it's not going to end well. It, 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 one way or another, it's not going to end well. And hopefully this provides an opportunity for him to repent, to, um, you know, try to, you know, repair some of the damage that he has done just because he was a very public person. He was in charge of a lot of things within the USCCB and to, um, to be found to living this double life, you know, again, causes, you know, it's a scandal on top of scandal. So it's just something we, we definitely don't need in the church. Um, but again, it's an opportunity, hopefully for him to repent, to start to work on repairing the damage done by this again. And I've even seen that there's, you know, additional investigations into members in the Holy See as well. Similar kind of data that the pillar has been able to, to acquire, uh, you know, commercially available data that you can purchase. This is how they're getting the data. Um, you know, it's, it, it's unfortunate, I guess, that this even has to happen. Uh, there were some people that were really chastising the pillar saying that, you know, you shouldn't, this is not journalism. You shouldn't have acquired this data. Um, you know, this is breaking journalism, journalistic ethics. Um, but I guess as, as they are Catholics and they are a Catholic journalism, you know, news site, I think it's important for 
these things to come out. And they had been trying to meet with the USCCB, whatever, but, you know, we don't want, this is not good for the church to have people trying to hide these things, right? To lead, lead these double lives, especially when they're in charge of investigations as important as uh, the uh, McCarrick investigation. You know, we, we need people that are that are not falling into these kinds of sins investigating McCarrick. So I, I just thought the two stories, you know, they're relatively close in time frame. If we remember McCarrick from a couple of years ago when um, when that story broke, uh, it's 2019, if I'm not mistaken, August, and and just you know the shock that that was, the shock waves felt throughout the church around the world, and and just the importance of, you know, we we can't no matter what our state of life is, we can't have this hidden life, right? God knows all, right? He already knows the things we are doing and the things we aren't, and hopefully we're going to confession reconciliation frequently to be cleansed of any of those sins and we bring everything before him and just let him wash that mercy over us. But again, we we have to break free of those things that are trying to trying to bind us. The devil is tricky and we have to pray for our priests because they are under attack. And ironic that St. John Vianney, our saint spotlight coming up, is the patron saint of priests. So indeed. Um Pray to St. John Vianney. We'll get into that in a minute. But you're absolutely correct, Phil. In this, especially, especially in this day and age where there, no matter where you're at, no matter what position in life you are at, there's always somebody who can find out information about just about anything. You know, we've seen it uh, a few years ago um, with the uh, Supreme Court nomination of uh, uh, Brent Kavanaugh uh, and bringing up things that, you know, happened in his college life. I mean, we we can't say one thing and live a life completely opposite. We have to live, we all, each and every one of us. The three of us included in that, I mean, everybody has to live a life that's honorable. And the Bible extols us to do that. The Word of God says, live an honorable life. Live honorably in the light of God. So, unfortunately, you know, and I'm certainly not standing as judge, jury, and executioner on these two men. Okay, they are men, they are people, and we need to recognize that as people, they fall just like each and every one of us fall. And it's just seems, in my opinion, to have a little extra sting to the fall when these are men whom we revere as priests or in a position of authority. And that goes for, uh, you know, people within the church and people outside the church that maybe we revere as well. It 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 just seems very disappointing when um, they don't live the honorable life that they seem to be living in front of one another or in front of others. Excuse me. Uh, so, I guess. 
you know, like you said, Phil, we need to pray for these men. And it's it's really unfortunate that that these men, along with other men, uh, have done the things that they have because it not only sends shockwaves throughout the church, it also affects the public's trust in the people who are in charge of our Catholic faith, which mm-hmm. then affects our ability as ordained deacons to minister to our flock because there is that shade of doubt that's been thrown up in people's minds. Oh yeah, no, this is a this this is like a, a wet blanket on our ability to evangelize, you know what I mean? <laughs> Good <laughs> analogy. Good that's, analogy. Love that. So just to be clear, uh McCarrick, he is um he is was charged with very horrible despicable acts monsignor burrill was using a hookup app okay so it's different things just to provide clarity if people aren't aware we'll link to the articles but um so monsignor burrill was using hookup apps which is different um but also bad correct bob your thoughts well it all comes down to trust the church already has significant trust issues with the public and with its congregation because of the whole kind of the hangover from the sexual abuse scandal, which yeah. we're continuing to work through. And this just, it's just the optics are bad. It's just bad for the church and um, anything that prevents the church from successfully executing its mission you know, for Jesus Christ is, is detrimental, you know, to us. So, I mean, I think you guys covered a lot of it. I just, I just am disappointed that we continue to have these problems, maybe not on the same scale that we did before. We're always going to have a few because uh, agree with Terry that these are men, they're humans, they're, they're fallible. They're going to make mistakes. And we need to pray for them and pray for their souls. But, um, you know, I, I maybe it's a hopeful thing that he's getting charged, you know, and that yeah. things are going in the right direction. So, you know, maybe we should look at it that way. Absolutely. As opposed to some of the historical things where there was much more of a cover up and stuff like yeah. that. But it does, you know, it does, for lack of a better description it does reek badly you know uh you know reek of hypocrisy when you say well one of the people was in the person in charge of investigating other people but was doing you know these types of you know was doing you know contrary things as well it just i don't know it doesn't yeah. help it doesn't help no no sure. no it does not help not at all <laughs> not at all Okay, let's take a short break, and uh, then we'll be right back with St. Spotlight. Stay with us. All right, we're back. Hopefully you stayed with us because this is the most exciting part of the show, the the part that everyone tunes in to listen for, the St. Spotlight with Deacon Terry. Go ahead. All right. Thanks, Bob. And this week we are featuring in the St. Spotlight, St. John Vianney. His feast day is August the 4th. John Vianney is the patron saint of confessors, parish priests, and then later all priests, as proclaimed by Pope Benedict 
during the year of priests in 2009-2010. St. John Vianney is also the patron saint of personal apostolic administration of St. John Vianney and also the Diocese of uh, Kamloops in British Columbia, Lafayette, Louisiana, and the Archdiocese of Kansas City, Kansas, Dubuque, Iowa, and our own Archdiocese just down the road of St. Paul and Minneapolis. St. John Vianney was a man with a vision who overcame obstacles and does perform deeds that seem impossible. He was a man with a vision. He wanted to become a priest, but he had to overcome his meager formal schooling, which inadequately prepared him for seminary duties. His failure to comprehend Latin lectures forced him to discontinue, but his vision of being a priest urged him to seek private tutoring. After a lengthy battle with the books, John Vianney was ordained. And we'll get into that in just a moment. But first of all, he was born Jean-Baptiste Marie Vianney, also known as John in English, and he was born on May the 8th, 1786 in Dardilly, France, and was baptized the very same day. He was the fourth of six children born to Matthew and Marie Vianney. His devout Catholic parents were farmers, and from an early age on, John worked in the fields. Without a formal education as a young man, he was functionally illiterate. But thanks to his mother's teaching, Vianney was able to memorize and understand numerous prayers and live a devout religious life. During that time in France, as John was growing up, the winds of revolution were blowing. Young John Vianney received little education, but given the anti-clerical sentiment of the Herbertists during the Reign of Terror, he was forced to make his first communion and confession secretly to a non-juring priest, that is a priest who had not sworn loyalty to the revolutionary government. This same priest bestowed on him the first sacraments in a barn during an underground mass. John was impressed by the heroism of the nuns and the priests who risked their lives for their faith. At the age of 17, he felt called to pursue the priesthood. He had said, if I am to be a priest, I will win many souls for God. But again, as I said earlier, John struggled with the Latin and needed private tutoring to supplement his lack of formal ed education. One of his fellow students, Matthias Loris, afterwards first bishop of Dubuque, assisted him with his Latin lessons. But now, another obstacle presented itself. Young Vianney was drawn in the conscription with the war with Spain and the urgent need of recruits having caused Napoleon to withdraw the exemption enjoyed by the ecclesiastical students in the diocese of his uncle, Cardinal Fesch. Matthew Vianney tried unsuccessfully to procure a substitute, so his son was obliged to go. 
His regiment soon received their marching orders. And on the morning of his departure, John Baptiste went to church to pray. And on his return to the barracks, found that his comrades had already left. He was threatened with arrest, but the recruiting captain believed his story and sent him after the troops. At nightfall, he met a young man who had volunteered to guide him to his fellow soldiers, but led him to Nose, where some deserters had gathered. The mayor of that town persuaded him to remain there under an assumed name as schoolmaster. After 14 months, he was able to communicate with his family. His father was vexed to know that he was a deserter and ordered him to surrender. But the matter was settled by his younger brother, offering to serve in his stead and being accepted. He was eventually ordained a deacon in June of 1815. He joined his heroes as a priest on the 12th of August in 1815 at the age of 29. His first mass was celebrated that very same day. Three years later in 1818, Father John Vianney was sent to the town of Ars, which with just 230 residents was a little more than a small French village. Here, the young priest dedicated all his efforts to the spiritual care of the faithful. When he began his priestly duties, Father Vianney realized many were either ignorant or indifferent to religion as a result of the French Revolution. Many danced and drank on Sundays or worked in their fields. Father Vianney spent much time in confession and offered delivered homilies against blasphemy and dancing. Finally, if parishioners did not give up dancing, Father Vianney refused to give them absolution from their sins. He spent 11 to 12 hours each day working to reconcile people with God. In the summer months, he often worked 16-hour days and refused to retire. His advice was sought by bishops, priests, religious, young men and women in doubt as to their vocation sinners, persons in all sorts of difficulties, and the sick. He also founded La Providence, a home for girls. He was deeply devoted to the Virgin Mary and St. Philomena. St. John erected a chapel and a shrine in her honor when he later became deathly ill but miraculously recovered. He attributed his health to St. Philomena's intercession. From 1824, he suffered attacks that he believed were caused by the devil, who allegedly, on one occasion, set fire to John Vianney's bed. His fame spread until people began to travel to him in 1827. Within 30 years, it was said he received up to 20 thousand pilgrims per year. By 1853, Father Vianney had attempted to run away from ours four times, each attempt with the intention of becoming a monk, but decided after the final time that that was not to be. Six years later, on the 4th of August in 1859, 
John Vianney died at the age of 73 and left behind a legacy of faith and was viewed as a champion of the poor. On October 3, 1873, Pope Pius IX proclaimed Father Vianney as venerable. And on January the 8th, 1905, Pope Pius X beatified him. St. John Vianney was canonized on May 31st, 1925. His feast day was declared August the 9th, but changed twice before it fell to August the 4th. One last reflection on John Vianney. St. John would often say, private prayer is like straw scattered here and there. If you set it on fire, it makes a lot of little flames, but gather these straws together in a bundle and light them and you get a mighty fire rising like a column into the sky. Public prayer is like that. St. John Vianney, pray for us. Pray for us. Pray for us. Hey, thanks, Terry. And now, folks, it's that time of the show when you can pray for us and you can rate us. Go on the podcast platform that you listen to us on, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever, wherever you listen to us. And please rate us. Give us a rating. Five would be great. John Vietti is praying for it. I'm praying for it. Please give us a five. And that would be very, very much appreciated. It would help us out a great deal. Also, leave us a comment. Send us a question. Tell us how we're doing. Tell us if we're doing bad. Tell us how much you love Terry. Tell us how much you hate Phil. Whatever it is, please leave us a comment or ask us a question because we're here to answer your questions and Read your comments on the air. Also, let's hear your prayer intentions because we're here to pray for you and with you in any way we can. We're here to be supportive. You could the the best place, uh, Bill. Tell them where we can. Where's the best place to leave comments? StrangeCatholicsPod at gmail.com. You can also leave us a voice message at anchor.fm forward slash StrangeCatholics. And please don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Our Subscribers are slowly growing, but we need a lot of you to sign up and spread the word. Hopefully next week I'll be back on video. This week I'm not vacationing, but I'm in Connecticut for work, so I don't have a video link. But next week I should have a video link, and you'll be able to see my beautiful face again. So it's time for closing prayer, and Phil has volunteered to do so. So take it away, Phil. Let us begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we bring before you these petitions. We pray for the protection of life from conception until natural death. We pray for all new babies, especially Terry's granddaughter, that they be healthy, they be kept safe, and their parents be given rest. We pray for all those that are pregnant, especially those that are about to deliver, that they be kept healthy and safe. Pray for all those that are sick, those that need healing, both of mind, body, or soul, that the divine physician grant them the healing in accordance with his will. Pray for all those who have died, that they may be welcomed to the heavenly banquet. Pray for all of our world leaders, that they may seek the true peace that only Christ can offer and spread that amongst all of the people. We pray also, Lord, for all those that are in 
any leadership position, that they be given this same vigor and fire, like St. John Vianney, to serve the people selflessly. Almighty and merciful God, who made the priest St. John Vianney wonderful in his pastoral zeal, grant, we pray, that through his intercession and example, we may in charity win brothers and sisters for Christ and attain with them eternal glory. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, everyone, Amen. for joining us. Thank you, everyone, for joining us this week, and look forward to seeing you again next week. And until then, love you, brothers. Love you, brothers. Love you, brothers. Thank you for listening to this episode of Strange Catholics. We hope that you enjoyed the conversation and it helps you dive into a deeper reflection and union with our Lord Jesus Christ. If you'd like to leave some feedback, please go to anchor.fm forward slash strange Catholics to leave a voice message, or you may also send us an email at strangecatholicspod at gmail.com. Links will be in the description. Please share this podcast and this episode with at least one person. This will help get the word out and get more people to join into the conversation. Please subscribe to this podcast and leave a review on iTunes or wherever you are listening to us. This really helps the podcast get traction and help even more people discover the peace, love, and mercy that our Lord offers and is longing to offer each and every one of us. Thank you again for listening. Have a glorious day. And may God bless you.